Hello and welcome to How To Medieval, the how-to where two guys show you how to do it between the two of them. My name is Ari. And I'm Matt. And today we're going to be talking about newcomers to the hobby. We like to advertise and discuss that a lot of what we speak about here is in service of both those who are in the hobby and those who are getting into the hobby. Well, today we're going to actually specifically talk about some of the ways that we can both be better about integrating new people into the hobby and for those who listen before they get the guts up to approach somebody or have the time or or the location to approach a group you know, one, some of the ways that you're going to get the most success out of coming into and joining a living history group now matt we're talking about groups specifically not necessarily just the hobby as a whole because as we know Technically, joining the hobby is pretty much just doing medieval things, because in the grander scheme of things, you can really do this on your own. But when we're talking about, well, today we're going to just talk about groups and how to interface with groups, correct? Yeah, I, mean, I, th I think you're right about that. I, I think most of us started in the hobby by doing just what you said, getting geared up and going out by ourselves. But it's joining those larger groups. There's, it can be it can be a little rough sometimes joining a new group because you never know you never know what you're going to get in the dynamics of the group and you never know the group never know, know really knows what they're going to get in the person either it's very daunting especially since a lot of times i mean the bigger groups so i guess it goes one of two ways either the really big groups you enter with all of the collective accuracies and inaccuracies of reputation so everything someone has said negative about the group, everything that somebody has said positive, and just based on, your, I guess, your Facebook feed, which one of those you saw first, is what you're going to expect out of this group when you start. And that doesn't always reflect what's actually, what your experience is actually going to be with them. And then on the other hand, you have the black box that are some of these smaller groups where they just don't have enough of a re reputation or presence to know much more than the couple snippets of facts you find online or the one person you happen to interact with of their group from an event or something like that. So really either way, it, there's a lot of these social hurdles involved with approaching and, and setting up a group or rather setting yourself up with a group. And on our, on our side, as the people who are in groups, not even just those who run groups, we can help remove some of those barriers and one of the, the big ways to do that is to make sure that we have as much of our information available as possible. The more people know about what they're getting into ahead of time, the better. And that's one of the things like big groups, big, big groups. We talk about the SC a lot, but you also think about like Regia and Glorum, the Normanis groups. Like you can find every last word of what technically constitutes the function of their group online, on websites, download PDFs. So they're really good about that. Granted, you also have to make sure that everyone is actually behaving in, in accordance with the print. <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to, while most of my experience with that is with, with the group is with the SCA, I was, was going to leave the SCA out of this discussion because they, they handle newcomers very differently than a lot of other groups. Um, the, the SCA in a lot of places that you're, you're supposed to have like one contact person 
that newcomers are supposed to go to and reach out to to get the information. And so you have a very targeted and specific message that's, that's going out. But really what happens is you get people who are already in the SEA who sort of go out and try to get their friends to do it with them. And so you do, you get a, a different mix of what's going on. What I like about what you talk about the other two larger groups there is that sort of, you know what you're going to get by looking at the information. The problem with the SCA is that it's so large and it's so many different versions of it, basically, under that same umbrella, is I could show you Facebook pages of people that make it look like the SCA is serious reenactment and all about authenticity and things like that. And then I could show you different people, part of the same, you know, part of the same SCA locale who it's a big medievaloid party and they don't really care about the authenticity of it. So it's really a, a different beast when it comes to, to newcomers with the SCA. It's, and I think that leads into probably the first point of a do for groups is be honest about what you are and what people are going to get from their experiences with you. Yeah, and just make sure you get that information out to anybody who might be interested in doing it. So yeah, be, be honest of what you are. And one thing I notice a lot when it comes to looking at the online materials or available materials of smaller groups is that it doesn't get updated nearly as quickly as it probably should. And that, that comes down to just the number of hours in a day and no one joined or no one got into the hobby and started a group because they were excited about the bookwork. I mean, we all have, we have reasonable empathy for that, but when it comes to making sure that people get what they see on the tin, when groups change over time or, or they expand or they contract, that doesn't always get reflected in their online literature. Websites can go stale and stagnant and represent the way the group looks. As I've, I've encountered groups where their website presence reflects what they were 20 years ago, and it has nothing to do effectively with what they still operate as as a living history group. So. If you are going to try and be diligent about publishing materials, try also to be diligent about updating materials so that it always reflects who you are now. No, I, mean, <laughs> I don't think I have anything to add to it. I think that that's exactly what, what, what I agree. Yeah. Okay, good. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we agreed on these points ahead of time or something. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I was going to say, so, so, you know, You've been, you you've got the information out there to the to the to the newbies and you know they're starting to show up because they like what you're doing and then they, they want to be a part of it. The next sort of do for I think groups would be make sure that you're being accessible. And don't don't put yourself out there and then be grumpy when people actually come to you. Because I've seen this happen. I've I've Pretty much make sure whoever your contact point is going to be is a people person and actually want to talk to people because I've seen it happen where like maybe not so much in, in, in reenacting, but I've, I've seen groups where it's like, you know, hey, come bowl, you know, come to our bowling league and you show up and you're like they want to bowl and they're like, Ugh, you want to bowl? Uh, you don't want to. You're not a real bowler. You know, stuff like that. It's like. Don't you know, don't put yourself out there to, to try to get people to come do stuff with you. And then 
be mad when people actually show up. That sounds so strange to me. <laughs> I don't even know how to put my... Yeah, sometimes you try and put yourself in the headspace of an, uh, an opposing position. I'm not even certain how... I understand how that would would work in the first place. Now, I get that sometimes people in an organization that tends to have high turnover can be somewhat jaded towards newcomers, but to be hostile and almost uninviting is seems strange to me. And so, yeah, definitely make sure that whoever your point of contact is wants to actually talk to people, but also keep in mind that as part of a group, you're going to end up talking to somebody who is interested in what you do and you won't always be in a position to just punt them to the, your PIO. You know, you don't have your your press liaison there at all times. And so at least be comfortable articulating what your group is about in a way that isn't just doing a demonstration. So uh, we're, we're assuming that the majority of the people that you are interacting with that are interested in your group are probably people from the public. It's not like you're going to find random interested parties wandering into your immersion events. It's it's probably it's highly unlikely because if they're stalking you that closely, then I suspect they've had to have talked to somebody in your organization first. And so the cold the cold reads that you're getting are people who are coming up to your demos or seeing you in parades or things like that. And so you might have your pitch prepared for the demonstration. You have your lesson plan prepared. You have, you know, your slice of history that you're able to share with the public, but at least be capable of describing your group and what your group's about to anybody who asks, because you're going to get people who ask just out of blatant curiosity. You do a demo at a Ren Fair and you guys knock the demo out of the park. You're the best demo of the day. People are really intrigued by what you do. A lot of people will have many questions about the history, and some people just want to just want to know what kind of person and what kind of group of people are into doing something like this, especially at the caliber that you've done it. And so some of them are going to be interested in learning more, potentially even joining, and some of them just want to know. So in either case, it really benefits you to be able to say who you are and what you're doing, you know, the, the corporate mission statement, if nothing else. And it's it's not an easy job either, because especially with the public, just like doing the demos, you really never know what you're going to get by people just approaching you cold like that. So be really to, be ready to roll with anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at some point, if, if you're not ready to deal with the, the sidewinders, then you haven't probably done a conversation with 100 people walking through a public event before. <laughs> Oh my gosh, some of the things that, that's a completely different episode, some of the, some of the things that have come up while like going to Ren Fairs and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. So you got this newbie, which I don't know, I use the word because it's, I don't know, it, I don't like the word, but I use it. And so you get this, this newcomer to the group, and they're interested, they have an idea of what you're into, and they're at the point where they're ready to join, and they may have some kit, they may have no kit. One of the first things that should be done, either 
by the person who's in processing them to the group, or if you just happen to be the guy there that day, or you're part of the group that's showing up doing a drill event when a newcomer shows up, is it's important to get a sense of this new person's knowledge base because that reduces a lot of the friction that can happen between a, a newcomer and the group, especially you don't want to like instill resentment early by either talking down on somebody who knows something of what they're talking about or conversely by bewildering somebody who's got no frame of reference for what you're up to just just a hearty interest because as we've talked about in the past not everybody who comes to your living history corner doesn't necessarily have experience in a different time period or is experienced in the history and now wants to interact with it physically. So if you find someone who is really knowledgeable about the subject but doesn't necessarily have the practical skills that we have when it comes to physically doing the history, that conversation, the tenor of the conversation and the, the topics that you can explore are going to be substantively different than someone who has no basis in living history whatsoever. Or if you have you know, we, we encounter this sometimes. You have people who have extensive, say, bushcraft experience through, you know, personal survival, hobbyism, or through you know, military experience, but they don't have any of the living history ex experience. So you guys don't necessarily have to teach how to, hand, to be out in the woods, but you're still got to talk about the history of hunting and why they'd be out there. And then, of course, the, the clothing conversation is completely different. And every, every aspect of what we do can very well have its own different level of expertise that this person is coming into. And once you're with people in a group long enough, you get a good sense of what they're good at, what they're not, what their interests are. But when somebody comes in and you have no idea what they're into or what they know or how they're able to apply what they know, it's, it's good to give them a chance to really show you what they're good at and what they're not without too much judgment. Don't go in expecting every single brand new face to be in completely ignorant or entirely myth-ridden. I mean, a lot of them will be, sure. And be able to handle popular misconceptions and be able to, to teach what's needed, but you really can't let them know what they need to know until you get an idea of what they don't. And uh, the same on the flip side of that, for the newcomer, don't feel that you need to know everything right off before you can start doing stuff with a group. You know, you don't have to be a medieval expert. You can just think the clothes or the armor is cool to come in and start doing things. But you got to be willing to put in the, the work to get there, to, to actually become part of the group if you want to be there and choose to stay. You, you can't just show up in the funny clothes and, and not, not do anything else. Well, absolutely. Most of us start from a position of, of nothing. Like high school, modern civilization was the closest I got to studying medieval history. Nothing I did outside of that, even coming into medieval living history with 19th century living history experience, I, I really knew very little about the Middle Ages as a whole, any, any of the eras of, of the medieval era. And even, you know, Taking the medieval part out of it, I went into living history working at the Ocean Institute completely cold. I had zero concept of what living history culture was, and I had people there who were willing to teach me. Now, they knew what to teach because they 
it was clear that I knew nothing, but it was also, I got hired to do a job, and so I was interviewed by my coordinators who were able to ask very pointed questions about what I did and didn't know and what I could and couldn't do. We don't always necessarily get such a formal interview process that can actually feel really, in, you know, it can feel like an interrogation. It can be off-putting. So we don't, most groups don't explore that avenue because it's just not one that is usually considered socially acceptable. So we're going to have to be a little more subtle about picking those things up. And so as a newcomer coming in, like Matt said, you also have to be willing to accept that there's a group of people here, despite your personal or professional expertise in other areas, that clearly know a lot more about something you're interested in than you are. And you have to be willing to, to sit back and learn. And I mean, to the, the idea that you don't have to know everything, and going back to trying to gauge people's actual experiences, you have to be forgiving of the fact that people are going to teach you things you already know, but they're doing so usually... 90% of the time, doing so from a position of benevolence, not because I think you're stupid. Yeah, it brings up an interesting point, and I don't know if there's an actual way to, to do it, but how do we sort of quality control a hobby? I mean, because this is a hobby. Most of us do this for fun. We're not doing it for, a, well, I'm doing it for a job, but um, but then Ari used to do it for a job, but but most of us, we aren't, we aren't doing it for a job. It's something we do for fun. It's something we do when we are, you know, want to relax or in our downtime and things like that. So if you're running a group, and this could be a good question for anybody, if anybody wants to respond out there who actually you know, runs a group or is in a large group, how do you implement that sort of quality control for newcomers and, and a, a path to get them up to speed of the, the level of quality that you want to put forward as a group? I don't necessarily have the answer to that because I think it's group specific. So as you said, how do you quality control the hobby? Well, you, you can't until you impose the medieval living history Illuminati that... Which totally does not exist. Absolutely uh, not, not putting... It's not being orchestrated in the background. We're not, not doing nothing this. Nothing to see here. Please move along. But... <laughs> But without some governing body for the entirety of medieval living history that you are required to adhere to, to be able to be a living history, medieval, anything, like, it, until you can force people to join this group to even think about being interested in medieval history, which, as you can see, that's blatantly absurd, uh, you can't. Individual groups can. I mean, individual groups can be as strict and restrictive and interrogative as they want to be with their newcomers. Now, we know how small those groups will end up staying if they are unappealing and they're too intrusive and they're too too draconian and, and they don't treat their people well. But you mean you mean their 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 um policies are too medieval? Oh <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I mean if we treated if we treated our living history in the people interested in living history, like the medieval folk, actually treated their serfs. No one would play. So uh, we can't. <laughs> we can't do it that way. Um, however, I'm certain that that there are many groups that do it instead of through fiat. They do it through motivation. And the idea is, I think the the highest quality groups out there that you find are probably the ones where you have a core group of like-minded people that set a high standard for themselves, 
and then instead of imposing that on others, they invite others to join them at their level. So instead of not allowing people in because they don't qualify, quote, quote, instead, they only try to approach and attract those who they know will rise to the standards they've set for themselves. And then it's a motivational thing more than it is a like authoritarian thing. But it's a very, I feel it's probably, uh, it strikes me as a very high energy thing to maintain. And so most groups tend to default toward standards that are prohibitive instead of motivational. That I've always been more of a carrot than a stick type of person when it, when it comes to things like this. It's like, so I've mentioned on a couple different podcasts here that I, I, episodes here that I run a deed of arms at an SCA event every summer, every, every July. And it does have stricter appearance rules than the base level SCA appearance rules. But I've always tried to reward sort of good faith efforts. You know, I, I haven't, if somebody shows up and it's obvious that they've put a lot of work into trying to make their, their gear look better to look more historically accurate and to better fit with the theme of what's going on, then I'll, I'll, I'll let them do it. And I have let them do it. it. It's rewarding them for their work. And then usually the next year they, they take that. They're at that next level up that thing. They then go a little bit more and then they go a little bit more and they go a little bit more. And it's all because they get to do the thing and they want, and they, they get hooked on it and they want to do it. Cause it's really, really fun. So yeah, I, I I definitely subscribe to that, and I like that that style of of motivational instead of just no, you can't do it until you have X, Y, and Z type of things. But but some groups do have that, and it works well for that that group, and it it helps them put forward what they want to do. I, I think it's just the delivery of the rules and the enforcement of the rules has to be done in a very specific way, or it becomes abusive basically I and mean, we don't we don't want that we don't want that at all no i i agree with that entirely uh and when it, we're talking about being uh you know don't be so so strict or so uninviting that you know it feels like abuse and this is another really strong point for groups to keep in mind of when they're in processing newcomers is you have to be truly and honestly forgiving of mistakes. And that can be very difficult because we can get kind of jaded, especially when there's turnover. And especially when we're funneled. The truth is that we get funneled people interested in medieval stuff more often from watching a cool medieval movie than we do from doing a cool medieval demo. It's just the reality of the world we live in. And so the majority of our intakes are going to come into it having no idea what it really means to do what we do. And a lot of them, when they actually like it click and like they, the light bulb goes on, they realize what we do, they leave. And so it's hard to invest time and energy in people over and over again, kind of bated breath waiting for them to like just bail on you when you finally tell them that no, that's, you, know, you, you can't, you, you 
can't do it that way. It doesn't make sense. It's not historically sound. And they, they finally realize that that's not what they want. And so maybe they, they leave it completely. Maybe they go to a LARP. Maybe they go back to just wearing cool stuff at Renfair and they're happy. But then the, the people who try to, to bring them into the fold over and over again are, get unhappy. And so then they become critical of mistakes and they become almost a trigger response, hyper vigilant against mytho- uh, myth misconceptions, especially the ones that we feel like they should already be gone by now. Come on. <laughs> and, so I'll point out though, if, if you are going to be somebody who is constantly trying to myth bust, Make sure what you're busting is right, because I've actually been sort of tooling around online the past couple of days, and I've seen some people pop in with the, well, actually, and what they've said is completely wrong. So it's, make sure, make sure that you, you know what you're talking about before you start myth busting things, because you're just going to get yourself, you're going to get yourself into the weeds on that one. Someone will always, and it doesn't, it, it's, someone will always, whatever you're doing pull a well actually on you no matter no matter what it is so I, i've seen college professors who have been teaching a course for 20 years have somebody be like well you know that's not actually true and the professor's like oh where'd you read that and it's like oh i read it from this book and the professor's like oh you mean that book that i wrote so <laughs> that, that that's a very that's gotta be a very special feeling it must be it must be well, someday i'll write a book and i'll be just so i can do that just <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, I I can see that I I uh we should start like a what do you call it like a a drinking game when we see well actually typed out online. <laughs> oh my god, my liver. <laughs> it hurts already. <laughs> I just got to go lay down. <laughs> but no, I, yeah. There's a song there, there's there's a there's a song in the SCA. It's it's actually pretty funny and it's called Well Actually and, and the the chorus, uh, it's always things about you know it, it's this one person and the, the the they talk about like different things and then the chorus goes into well actually and it it's it's pretty funny it's actually kind of hilarious. I'll see if I can find is the lyrics. A, is it a filch? It, it's is a it is a filk. Yeah, it is. Uh, I don't I don't know if it's a I don't know if it's a filk. I don't know if it's. It might just I be struggle inter- with. I struggle with filks because, so I came into it starting in the 19th century living history, and most filks are of 19th century music, and uh, not all, obviously, but uh, a vast majority of the ones that I was hearing in, in the very early times that I was interacting with the SCA, most of them were songs that were like part of our historical study to make sure that we got like correct verses to sea shanties and such. And then they were dubbed over for, to talk about people in the SCA. And I just, I've always struggled (laughs) with them because just because of that outlying factor of that's, it's not somebody else's history that you're appropriating. It was like my history of study that you were then appropriating. And I don't know. I just, I've always struggled with them, but also, because most of the tunes aren't medieval. Yeah, but that's, this one might be a um, be a, a an original song. I don't know if it's based off of a other uh, song. There have been some 
some original songs that I have absolutely adored, though. I I will throw that out there. It's yeah. I I didn't. I have a love hate relationship with Silk too. It's like I most of it I can't stand, but I I like Weird Al. He's actually coming to. Uh, he's actually coming to Kansas City. I've been trying to debate whether or not I can. He's coming to Maine. He's going coming up to Bangor. I think the 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 same. He's probably it's probably the same ill advised. Uh, what does he call it? The ill ill advised vanity. Tour. Yep, that it is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> well, actually, but no, I am. <laughs> if we can find a a decent quality video of well, actually, we'll put it in the the show notes. I, I think I know it somewhere. Yeah, I'll see if I can dig one up. So on the on the flip side of that uh, of all of this, if you're a newcomer, don't expect a group to change to fit what you want to do and this isn't talking about you know accessibility needs or anything like that this is just talking about you so you go to the label company and you know you walk into a meeting you're like oh man you guys do really great stuff but i want to do roman stuff so we should all do Roman stuff. Don't, 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 that's not going to fly. They're going to be like, no, that's, that's not what we do. That's not what we want to do. And um, you want to do Roman, go find a Roman group. So don't, don't, just don't expect that the groups to change to fit what, what you want to do. Cause it's not going to happen. Nobody's going to be happy and things are just going to end poorly. Well, yeah. And so this is another point where I, I sometimes struggle to put my mind in the same place as the the person that we're or the, the idea that we're talking about here i struggle to even though i know it exists and it happens and people struggle with this concept what i don't understand is why someone would bring something that's outside of the expectations of a group to that group except in the situations where it's not well defined what they're going to encounter so if we're going to a medieval group and they don't really know what kind of medieval you do and they bring something wildly outside of what you guys do like that's that's not so big a deal like they just didn't know maybe put the time range of your of your hobby on the facebook page or something right but yeah i think that goes back to what i originally said is beyond be honest what you do absolutely but then you you using this example labelle company is very clear with quite detailed guidelines on what is, is and isn't acceptable on what it is that they like in their group. Uh, LaBelle Company is the most amazing example of this because they literally wrote a book on living history in their period. And so it's, I would struggle to understand the mindset of, some, of anyone approaching LaBelle with a Roman impression. And I realized that was meant to be a really stark example. Um, but what I think is a, might be a, a better example of what we might find is people who try and creep along the boundaries. And we see this in like deeds of arms that have clearly defined timelines and say they do a century of time. And so they're like, okay, well, everyone from like 1350 to 1450 can, can join in this deed. And then you get the, the people on the outskirts who are like, oh, but I have this, you know, very early 16th century Maximilian thing and it's my only suit of armor because it costs as much as my house like can i please play in it or the people come in with oh i have this incredibly detailed norman knight dismounted knight uh outfits and it's got you know this the crest is is worth more than everything in 
in my office alone, not to mention the rest of the suit, can I play? And they're just, they're just on the fringes. So it's like, oh, well, like if we want to be, we want to be nice. We want to be accommodating. Maybe they can get in. Those are the types of things. And, and while these examples aren't using newcomers, uh, we also can see this with newcomers who are kind of in adjacent hobbies, but maybe their adjacent hobby doesn't have the same following or physical presence that your group does. And maybe they'll come to you as a newcomer to your group, hoping to maybe extend the edges or sneak in an impression because they want the comradeer, they want the, the group around them, uh, but they don't necessarily want the time period. And so this is, this is really on the person approaching a group not to come in with ulterior motives. Don't, like you said, don't expect the group to change to fit you. It's unfair to the people who have already invested in this group to try and mold all of what they've built for your own purposes. And whether some people don't do it intentionally, but it's important to be self-analyzing enough to notice if maybe you're doing it accidentally. There's a lot of gnashing of teeth in the SCA over this because basically the SCA has really only has one rule about appearance and it's pre-17th century and the, I know a lot of people that that push that boundary a lot they do they have English Civil War um, personas or musketeer personas, or uh, sorry, Justin, didn't mean to call you out like that, but <laughs> um, they so they're like like well, it's the it's like sixteen fifty, you know, it's like a lot of there's actually a lot of misconception, and I, and I think this is something that the SA has been trying to do in recent years to sort of reel things back in. You know, for the longest time it was oh, but the um the cutoff is sixteen fifty. It's like well, no, it's not. It's it's always said pre seventeenth century, but word of mouth sort of travels and people plays a telephone game it creeps first it was you know well set pre-17th century it's like oh well it ends at the death of elizabeth which was 1603 uh really it ends at the english civil war which is the 1650s it's like well as long as you're not doing anything like you know modern era type things it's like well, so there's that sort of that creep that scope creep and while in the sea i become fairly ambivalent to it because like i i've been telling some people online recently most events you get sort of cloistered with your own like groups you know the 14th century people for the most part they hang out and do stuff with the 14th century people the the 15th century they they sort of straddle the line between 14th and 15th century but but we all sort of find our own groups and our own like-minded people and stick together within this within this larger group so we don't cross paths that much except you know yeah you'll be walking down one of the roads and there's a english civil war guy striding towards a 14th century guy but anyway i digress see exactly safety and clicks <laughs> but don't get clicky anyway i i think the, the point uh I, i'm trying to to make is if if you don't want that to happen, you got to be very clear right up front you, that you don't want that to happen. That these are your, your cutoff dates and you're not going to allow anything more to that. And if you're a newcomer, or a newcomer to the group, and you really want to do something of the, you know that's outside that set time period, don't get upset if they won't let you in or, or 
change things to allow you to come in. You can go off, start, start your own group or go find the group that does what you want to do because everybody will be, will be happier uh, in, in the long run. That's true. And while I don't necessarily advocate the first knee-jerk reaction to disappointment to be taking your ball, going home and starting a new group, because there's kind of a, there's kind of a joke that becomes a, a meme in itself of, of, oh, if you have three reenactors, uh, one of them starts their own group. <laughs> and, uh, but we don't want, we don't necessarily want to become tropes, but I do agree that if at some point your interest in the hobby fundamentally does not align with the group you're in, then you don't necessarily have a place in that group. And that's not a moral failing on your part. It doesn't, it's not really an insult against you. And that leads to another good point that I think we need to talk about with uh, the when the newcomers approaching the group itself is you know, we're talking about the, the group it needs to be forgiving of mistakes. However, mistakes also need to be corrected, which means that regardless of your expertise, especially if you're coming into a new group with a different set of cultural norms or a different time period than you're used to, or you're coming in completely cold, you have to be open to constructive criticism because you're going to get things wrong. I mean, I still get things wrong all the time. That's why I go online and read. And, and that's why we have groups that are willing, like authenticity groups that are, they're not meant to bash people. They're meant to, to help bring them back up and to access our collective expertise. But you can't be insulted if something you have done is found to be incorrect, either through accidents or through updated research or through misconceptions. The three Ds. Don't double down. Oh. It's, that's a new one to me. That's a new one to you? Yeah, don't double down. It's become quite a thing, especially in our society, where if somebody calls you out for being wrong, first of all, they do it as a call-out, as you know, trying to get you in trouble basically but two that person doubles down on it oh i i mean i understand the concept what you're saying now and i have seen that that is somewhat pervasive it's a in, like entrenching and defending your your ideologies instead of supporting the things that you believe based on reason yeah, because all it's gonna if you dig in your heels, all it's gonna happen is everybody's gonna fight against each other, and nobody's ever gonna ever gonna learn anything. Um, so, if you ever get to that point where somebody says, "Well, you're wrong about that," hopefully they say it in a in a nice way to you, but ask them ask them why they think that or why they believe that that you're wrong, and if they can show you evidence as to to the contrary of what you were what you were saying or doing. Don't double down. Don't don't be like, well, I'm going to do it anyways, just because you don't like it. You know, it, be open to saying, you know, you're right. I was wrong. Let, let me uh, let me change the way I was looking about this. And uh, maybe I can change what's going on with my kit or with my clothes or something like that. So. I like that. It resonates fairly strongly with some of the other things we've talked about in the past when it comes to the research of of not becoming beholden to individual sources or individual items that to the point where you're no longer willing to accept that other interpretations of those historical 
records or instances are possibly valid in the first place. We don't want to bring anything from the medieval study and make it part of our identity or our belief system. We want to always be using them to support reasonable conclusions. I actually think it's something that that's interesting when it comes to medievalism and reenactors, maybe not even just medieval reenactors, but you know, it's like all the time I see people that are like, well, I live, you know, I, I portray a knight, but I really, I live my life as a knight. And it's like, well, no, you're, you're living your life. I'm not saying it's, it's wrong, but you're, you're living your life to a con- preconceived set of morals that's influenced by a certain aspect of study. Because really right now, if, if anybody nowadays truly lived their life like a medieval knight, They'd be in jail. They'd be in jail. <laughs> they'd be, they'd yeah. be a major like, like, jerk. When's the last time you beat a serf for their contractually obligated bushel of wheat? Like, no, you, you haven't done that. And you've never run a bandit out of town. You've never done anything that a knight was expected to do on the day-to-day basis. Yeah, it, it, the, the Victorians, damn the Victorians, they really, <laughs> they ruined everything. You know, everything of what we believe is the, uh, uh, you know, the Knight's Code and everything now really stems out of that Victorian era. And I'm probably preaching to the choir. I'm sure most people are, you know, that listen to us already already know this. But it, it all comes from that Victorian era ideals of, well, they, they were so much better and lofty and all this stuff. And so I'm going to live my life that way. And th- there's nothing wrong with living your life in, in a you know, more noble fashion and trying to do that. But don't confuse the two. It's like Ari said, don't tie your identity to your portrayal because then things are just going to get weird. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I just, I don't even know how to put it in any way. There's no better way to, that's a great way to put it. I I I know some people in the SCA who truly believe that their their SCA persona is who they really are, and for, for the most part, it's, it's it's a fairly benign way of going about it. They they just they live their live their lives in a different way. But there's some people who I've heard stories of who take it to a completely next level, and I'm just like. It just sounds a little weird to me, and I'm not trying to be be mean to anyone here. Um, and if anybody can better explain that to me, I would be more than happy to to listen to that, because I I look at everything you know I do in the SCA and even everything I do at History Live Northeast, and I'm like, well, that's that's my job. Yeah, I love it. I love doing it, but I am more than than just that, and and I, I am not my persona in the SCA, it, it's just a name that I've adopted because it, it's a game and, and, and you have to, you're supposed to have a different name. So, and I think a lot of people find that very, that, that aspect of the SCA very, very strange. So, how to tie this tangent back into newcomers? I don't know. <laughs> don't be weird to newcomers. 
don't be weird to newcomers absolutely and don't don't necessarily try to impose new ideas and beliefs and thoughts and knowledge on them guide them to the same conclusions that you have developed to make a great impression this is something we talked about a bit in the past about don't use reenactors as sources and reenactors have the responsibility when someone appears to be idolizing their impression instead of allowing them to use their impression alone to lead them to the same material that allowed you to develop an impression to that quality because then they're going to be able to rise to your level instead of just emulate what you're doing so and and obviously people get turned off at lectures when you just sit there and rattle off at them i mean even in demonstrations you know we try and be that's why we let kid, people hold the, the items and swing the swords and things like that because interaction is so much more interesting than just straight lecture not to to besmirch the the lecturing profession obviously lecturing has a, a perfectly valid place in education but we have this opportunity where we're not trying to address certain standard facts to 200 people in a room we're just trying to share a love of interest and a tactile knowledge of something with people on a genuinely generally one-on-one -on -one basis with the exception of some like demos and things where lectures are appropriate but when it comes to bringing and spinning up a newcomer you really have to avoid lecturing them and, and work on guiding them and bringing them in to the point where they become you know you don't want to just teach them so that they can go off on their own you want to bring them up so they can become part of your internal societal culture when whatever how large or small that society is i think i figured out where I, the point i want to make with, with <laughs> my last <Perfect. laughs> um don't be surprised or angry or upset if not everybody gets into it the, to the level that you get into it Oh, yeah. You know, I, it, it's, what, it's like one of the, one of the biggest things when I joined, when I joined the SCA was people would be like, oh, well, is your wife in the SCA? And I'm like, no, she, she doesn't, she doesn't do this at all. She, she supports me, but she doesn't do any of it. And they're all like, oh, well, that's not going to last then. And it's like, what do you mean? It's not going to last my wife. I love her. It, it, it it's like. I, I look at it, this is sort of like my free time. Uh, you know, we, we have our own things. We, we do things separately, and then we come back, and we, we support each other when we need it, and we talk to each other, and we enjoy our own things. So don't get, don't get too put off if, like, a newbie shows up, and they're like, oh, well, you're going to want to do this, 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 and this, and all this, and all this, and this, this, and it's like, I, I just want to put on armor and stand there with people. Because that, that's... that's fine that's definitely part of gauging their their knowledge and expectations and but then again at the same time you also have to be open to new perspectives from the people who come in they're going to come in with fresh new ideas and they may have a different way to play that is can coexist entirely with what you guys are doing right now uh, even if it's not identical and you have to be okay with that and accepting of that exactly <laughs> But then again, not every new idea is a good one. And so people coming into living history groups, uh, you know, it's the, uh, the writer's adage of kill your darling. You're going to come in with mis misconceptions. People are going to watch medieval movies, which get them interested in medieval hobbies, which then they have to accept that 
a lot of what they originally thought was cool about the Middle Ages isn't even real, much less sometimes really isn't cool either. And uh, they have to be willing to let those things go and also have to be willing to accept that new ideas sometimes are not new at all. There's lots of old ideas that, or rather, ideas that have been dis tried and discounted in the past that are not worth retrying. And so if you're, if you're a newcomer and you have all these great new ideas, it's important for us to listen and for you to be comfortable sharing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that just because someone has an idea that it's a good idea. What was that phrase you used earlier for for newcomers? Uh, be, be really ready to kill your darlings. Yeah, it's a write, It's an adage among creative writers about kill your darlings. Both uh, don't let characters where the story naturally progresses to them leaving the story, either through death or through them leaving the storyline. Don't hold on to characters you like that don't serve the story anymore. But also, it's the idea that you can write a lot of content that doesn't serve the book. And you need to throw that away. It's the Hemingway idea of uh, start writing a book and then throw away the first 150 pages and then rewrite the book from there. And so the idea of kill your darlings, don't hold on to something just because you created it doesn't mean it's good or valuable. God, uh, George R. R. Martin just took that one and ran with it, didn't he? Well, <laughs> it's, yay. You know, everyone has their niche, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. That or he has no darlings, I suppose. I guess not. <laughs> no. God, he doesn't like anybody in his books. <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, so if you're somebody who came to who's coming to this with your love of Hollywood medievalism, don't get ready because <laughs> yeah. we're gonna George R. R. Martin, yeah. Sorry to burst your bubble. We're gonna George R. R. Martin is now a verb. <laughs> 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 oh my oh, gosh so the one last thing I yeah, I think we kind of come down to the end this is the last thing on our, our pre previously discussed bullet list which we have adhered to sort of uh, close enough anyway um, <laughs> I mean we hit them we also hit a lot of other stuff too on the way it's uh, like bumper cars so <laughs> it's like, like more like pinball <laughs> Oh, what is that? Plinko. Plinko. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I was done. You gotta catch it in the cup. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, I think the biggest thing that sometimes people need to learn, and this goes back to the idea of uh, larger organizations or groups that have had a lot of turnover and the individuals in them get burnt out on investing time and energy into new people, is that while you will probably always be immediately accepted into a group simply on the basis of your interests, that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone is automatically going to be your friend. And so you have to allow time for your integration into the social network to percolate, to find the people that you actually resonate with and to find your place in the group. And while this isn't like new information, like everyone has to integrate into new social networks gradually and organically, this is not, I've just pulled this out of the ether and everyone in the world is surprised. The, the point is that we have this sense sometimes that is, you know, in the medieval hobby, you know, you always have a friend. Like, hey, if just, just by virtue of I dress up in a bicocket, now all the other bicocketed men in the world aren't automatically my friend, is not, that doesn't actually hold true. It's a nice, it's a nice thought. It's a, 
it's a really nice thought to think that just because you're part of this group or you identify with this particular hobby that you always have a reliable social network, but that it doesn't pan out that way because there are too many different types of personalities that are interested in what we do. And it does take time to find the people who you fit with and trying to force that in can lead to a lot of conflict. It can make people feel burnt out or taken advantage of. And so be willing to give it the time it needs to really ingratiate yourself into the organization. That's actually an attitude that's in the SCA that I, I really, I really don't like that, that we're all friends here attitude. And no, we're not. <laughs> there's, there's people in the SCA I don't know that I've never met before in my life. I wouldn't call them my friends. Um, doesn't mean we don't, it means if I do, doesn't, doesn't mean that if I do meet them, I, I'm not going to be friendly towards them. We can all be friendly towards each other, but it doesn't mean make us all friends. And there's some people in the SEA that I downright do not like. So I, I'm definitely not going to call them my friends. And I'm luckily I, I can still do things in the organization and not really have anything to do with them. But I can, and I can be civil to them in passing, but that whole, yeah, we need to stop this whole idea of everyone's our friend. Um, friendly but not friends you know it's it's i guess that's the w the way we need to go and there's my there's my soapbox tangent for the day second there's my second or third soapbox tangent <laughs> for the day <laughs> well no that's a, it is important to be respectful to everybody I, I don't want it to get confused that we suggest like ostracizing people you don't like we're not you have to be friendly as you said which i would describe as being respectful you can be politely respectful to someone even that you hate you can still go along to get along without having to, to fake their friendship. And I don't want anyone to feel that they should be expected to have to do something like that. And that there's this automatic, that there's such a thing as an automatic, like everybody who identifies this way is now automatically your friend. It's, it doesn't really work that way. And I don't know if it should, because I think it does lead to people, to harmful relationships being being perpetuated that don't need to be and it's easier i suppose in a larger organization to just avoid the people you don't like however if you just can't get along with anybody in a small group then it just the group isn't for you perhaps and again that doesn't just like if this group doesn't do the same status or the same time period that you want then that group isn't for you it's there's nothing intrinsically wrong with you because you want to do World War One and you bumped into a bunch of 14th century people. That's that's just a happenstance of different interests. And so it's okay to move along as needed. Very well put. Thanks. We talked about killing your darlings. The one darling we don't want you to kill is our five-star rating on whatever you listen to us on. So go give us five stars, like us, share us, and save our, save our, if, if, if Ari and I are your darlings, give us five stars. <laughs> Absolutely. And so one of my darlings that I will never kill is Paul Butler, because he allows us to use some of his music as part of our intro, and you can find his music in the show notes below. Buy his album. I'm going to put him in a bubble. Protect uh, him, protect him forever. A, a protect.
protective, protective bubble. bubble. Yes. yes. Yep. Don't worry, Paul. I'll make I'll make it comfortable for you, Paul. Don't worry. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening. Bye, folks. Bye.